Well, we are going to be in Ezekiel 37. I want to thank the music for, for the song choice. It's perfect in, in preparing us for, for this text. I trust this from the very text. This is one of my favorite texts. It, 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 is, it is a wild imagery that we have here of, of bones coming to life. Absolutely incredible to what we have here. And I just uh, fall in love with it every, uh, every time I, I read it. So I want to read Ezekiel 37, uh, the first 14 verses. The prophet Ezekiel writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me around among them. Behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. Behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. And he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus is the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you. You shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. I prophesied as I commanded and as I prophesied there was a sound. Behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and the skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. He said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you to the land of Israel. You shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, thank you for your love and your mercy. We ask that you would open our hearts, that we would receive your word this evening, our minds that we would understand it, our eyes that we would see your glory, and our ears that we would hear and heed your word, our mouth that we would speak the truth of the gospel, the hope that you have given us, and our hands and our feet that we would go in obedience to Christ, that our entire being, having encountered the risen Christ, is transformed to be more like him. This is your work, and we ask that these dry bones can live. May I decrease so that you can increase. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. I, uh, I've worked with a lot of young preachers, and one of the things that every young preacher wants is a pulpit. And the problem is, is no one wants to give them a pulpit for justifiable reasons. Let's be honest. And, but, but one of the things I've found, and I encourage young preachers to do, is that there is a pulpit right now that would welcome you to come use it anytime you want to. And that is the pulpit in a nursing home. They're always looking for guest speakers. They're always looking for visitors. They're always looking for someone to come and share the Word of God there. And, and I got my start in the nursing home. My second sermon, which was the same as my first sermon because six weeks wasn't long enough to prepare a new material. The Bible's not that big of a book. And, and so I went to prepare a sermon that was not fitting for nursing home people. I was a, I was a middle school, high school student, eighth grade, freshman, something like that. And uh, I went, went there and preached and, and just gave it, gave it my all, and they were all sound asleep. All of them just sound asleep. And, and I, I had practiced this thing, run through it, had it memorized, and had worked really hard on it, and, and they were just out. Uh, which reminds me, I was told you're supposed, to, you're supposed to leave here by 8. Is that 8 p.m. or 8 a.m.? I didn't. 
I, did, I didn't know what that was. How tired do you want to be, right? Uh, and, and I remember my father went to, to that sermon, and he was incensed. How dare the, you know, sleep during my son's uh, terrible sermon. But, but it, it didn't get any better from there. When, when we lived here in Breckenridge County, every month I'd go to the nursing home here in Harnsburg. And I always looked forward to it, knew a lot of the, 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 the patients there, and it would make my pastoral visits before and after, and it was a, a big ordeal. And, and the problem is, and I don't know if it's still this way, but at the time, you, you met, you had this church service on a Sunday afternoon, in the lobby, right? Of course, the nursing home is basically two, two hallways in, in a giant lobby. And in the lobby is where everything happens. It's the hub of everything. And so you've got visitors coming in. You've got nurses going from one wing to, to another. You've got patients. The cafeteria is right here. And, and it's, it's a lot going on. And you're dealing with patients who have all lost their hearing. And you have all this noise and everything. And so you, you have to talk real loud. There's no microphone. There's nothing to help you. And, and you're, you're trying to, to do your best to, to hold attention. And no illustration will, will do it or anything. And, and I was going through Psalm 23. Each, each month I was going to the next verse. So it took six months to do it. And, and right, right in the middle of, of, of this sermon, just doing the best I can as a young preacher, just trying to share Jesus and point him to the true shepherd. And a phone goes off. I automatically assume it's me. I'm the only millennial there. It wasn't me. It was one of the patients right here in the middle. I don't know how old the lady was, but she was older than me. And, and I couldn't believe that she had a phone. But the problem is, was her hard hearing meant she had the ringer all the way up. So all you could hear was the sound of this phone. But it took her three rings to realize that her phone was ringing. And so she's doing this thing. She finally grabs the phone, and instead of shutting it off, she answers it in the middle of the sermon. Hello? Hello? Yeah? I'm still here. What do you want? No, I'm in a church service. I can't understand the word this young preacher's saying. I don't know if it's right. Hello? Call me back later. <laughs> what do you do with that? What do you do that? And then you go to these situations with, with, where, where you don't really know if you're having any effect. And, and I was reading this text. Th think about those experiences in nursing homes. And the reason a young preacher needs to do that is you're going to experience virtually everything. And, and I couldn't help but think, as, as difficult as that might be, at least they are alive. <laughs> at least there is the hope that maybe, maybe the Spirit will do something. Maybe God will convict and God will disciple and God will do all of this. And then you read this text, and here is a preacher. Not in a nursing home. Not in a church. In a cemetery. With Bible open. Hands waving. Illustrations prepared. To dead people. Notice it begins with the valley here in verses 1 to 6. And, and we see the scene immediately. The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out of the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of the valley. This is a, this is a vision he is having, and what, what an incredible vision it is. He's in the middle of this valley. is full of dry bones, and he leads him around like, like Abraham in Genesis. lead him around the promised land. He, he sees that, that, that the entire surface of the valley is covered with, with dry bones. This is right out of Tolkien's writing, right? Everywhere he goes, he's having to step over skulls and females and everything else all over is an ocean of dry bones which bone goes with which bone what, what really happened here all he sees is death and decay and destruction and remember who it is that is seeing this first of all Ezekiel is a Jew in case you didn't know that Jews is are the ones that 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 we've borrowed the tradition of burying the dead 
You, you show respect to the body. You honor the body. You, you believe that that body's made in the image of God from conception to burial. And so the thought that any human body is left out to decay is, is unthinkable for, for the Jewish mind. Imagine an entire sea of such bodies. Maybe this was caused by some great battle. We, we, don't, we don't really know. But, but, but it, likely Ezekiel is, is recalling God's warning against the people of Israel. He says in Deuteronomy 28, it shall come about that if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe all, to do all his commandments and his statutes with which I charge you today, that these curses will come upon you and overtake you. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will go out one way against them, but you will flee seven ways before them. And you will be an example of terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses will be food to all the birds of the sky and the beasts of the earth. That's creation language there. And there will be no one to frighten them away. Well, what a vivid image we have here. And now Ezekiel sees that, 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 that warning from God in, in, the, in the most starking of, of ways. But remember, he, he's not just a Jew. He, he is also a priest. And a priest has to be careful with, with touching dead bodies. Because then that makes them ceremonially unclean. This is like the Levite and the priest and, and the Good Samaritan, where, where they step over the, the man, perhaps assuming he's dead, because they care about the ritual of their job rather than the calling of their ministry. And so, so they step over them because they don't want to be ceremonially unclean. And this was very serious for, for a priest, very serious for a Jew. And all around him, he is smothered with this sort of imagery. He, see, he sees it death. He sees uncleanness. He, he sees the, the brokenness of humanity. What, what has become of this? And in verse 3 is one of the most bizarre questions in all the Bible. You see the right beginning of verse 3. Son of man, can these bones live? Now. You're sensible people, and I know science is now racist, but I think you're pretty sensible people, right? What's the answer to that question? No, <laughs> right? I mean, you, 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 it's no, right? I, I, don't, I don't care who you are. Look, I, I can get a pile of bones right here, and I say, okay, give it your best shot. You know what's going to happen? It's still going to be a pile of bones. Government's going to call me and says, what are you doing with this pile of bones? But it would prove the point. I've done a lot of funerals in my life. And never once did I think, okay, guys, time for the real show. Do you believe this carcass can live? That would be inappropriate. You'd be stoned right there. You wouldn't ask that sort of question. You wouldn't do that. But there you have a carcass. You still have veins and arteries and muscles and skins and maybe a mustache or hair or something. I mean, you, you've got a resemblance of a body. Here, you have nothing but bones. No hearts, no brains, no lungs, no skin, no blood, nothing. Just a valley of dry bones. Again, maybe Ezekiel knows his Bible and he sees that God has raised people from the dead, even in the Old Testament. Think of the prophets Elijah and Elisha. Both experienced this. And in those resuscitations, again, there is a body still there. Right? The, the, the person hadn't been deceased very long. Miraculous, certainly, but it's nothing like this. You can see Ezekiel looking here and say, I, I, I wouldn't know. This is like the world's worst Lego project, and I wouldn't know how to put any of it together. How in the world do we figure this out? Can these bones live? Check no on that box. That's not the answer he gives in the text. The answer in verse 3 kind of bothers me. Right? I'm a black and white kind of guy, right? which is what makes marriage so 
Interesting? Is, is, is that a safe word? Is she recording this? I don't know. Um, right? Is, is, uh, my wife is more gray. If I ask her a question, can we eat at six o'clock? What I will get with, get from her is maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Come back and ask. Right? Right? I mean, should I drive on the right side of the road? I don't know. Maybe. Come and see. Ask me next time, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's like, you can tell me no, and I'd rather have a no than a maybe. I don't know. Because now I'm supposed to read, is the maybe a yes? Is I don't know no? Anyone else married? you understand what I'm talking about? I'm a black and white guy. Look, the answer is either yes or no. It's not the answer Ezekiel gives. It's not an, it's, it's not an answer of self-confidence. Of course, Jesus. <laughs> Watch me work. It's not doubt. Of course not. This doesn't make any sense. But rather, it's an answer of faith. God, you know. If you want these bones to walk, have at it. If you don't want them to walk, then no bother. Oh, Lord God, you know. And so he tells Ezekiel, Bible open, in this horrendous cemetery, preach. Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Do bones hear? Now, you need bones to hear. I get that. I'm deaf in one ear. That happened while we were here in Breckenridge County. I just lost hearing one day. I don't know. Uh, it just happened. And, and there are bones in your ear that, that help with your hearing. Yes, but do bones hear? Right? I mean, think about it. He's saying, say to these bones. Why? <laughs> right? I mean, they're, they're dead, they're dry bones. But say to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you. You shall live, and I will, I will lay sinews among you. You will cause flesh to come upon you, cover you with skin, put breath in you, and you shall live, and you will know that I am the Lord of God. Notice here, this is the opposite of decomposition. So if you start the end of verse 6, what you have is death and then the loss of skin, and then flesh, and sinews, all that sort of thing. So, so, so when he says, say to, these, say to these bones that this is what's going to happen, it's the opposite of decomposition. So that which was lost last will be given first, until finally you're presented with living bones. Again, this is not a sermon any of us would preach, or even think about preaching. And yet he is told to, to preach, and clearly Ezekiel does so, as verse 7 makes clear, um, he does so by faith. If God wants these bones to live, they, they will live. And so we move from the valley to the vision of verses 7 to 10. And again, we see the opposite of decomposition. He does as God commands, and he hears, first of all, sound. You, you, you can hear that, can't you? Just in the text, you can, you can hear those bones rattling in the distance. And, and it's creepy. I mean, let's be honest. I don't care how, how, how good of a preacher you might be. The second the bones start rattling is the second you run. I mean, this is an unsolved mysteries case, right? You, you don't want to be there when dead, dry bones are rattling. I don't care if it's that deer hanging on your wall. When the bones start rattling, you need to get out of the house. It's haunted and move somewhere else. Get the best price you can and don't tell the, the people buying it what, what really happened. That didn't sound very Christian. So here's the, here's the bones rattling and behold, a rattling and bones came together, bone to its bone. And there were sinews on them. Flesh came upon them. Skin had covered them. There was no breath in them. Now, now, now Paul's there. 
Where did the sinews come from? Where did the flesh come from? Now, the bones make sense. It's kind of been a big deal of the story. Valley dry bones. Where did the flesh come from? And from the flesh comes the hearts, the lungs, the ligaments, cartilage, muscles, arteries, brain matter, eyeballs, fingernails. Where did any of that stuff come from? It came from nowhere. It was created out of nothing. See, this sound familiar? You know your Bible? Can you think of a story where a being comes into existence out of nothing and initially lacks breath? It's page one of your Bible. In fact, notice where, where it goes in verses 9 and 10. It, it's page two of the Bible. It's when God breathes into Adam, he now breathes into these, these dry bones. He said, and he prophesied to, to the breath. Does breath here? This is the beauty of, of this genre of, of Scripture. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus is the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesy as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet in exceedingly great armies. This is the story of Adam, isn't it? Story of Adam. He became a living being. And so they are alive, literally, and, and, and not just zombies. It's, it's an exceedingly great army exceedingly great army. And that leads to the vantage there in verses 11 to the 14. And immediately, like any good parable that Jesus would, would tell, and I'm preaching through some of the parables on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings at East Frankfurt, um, God gives the interpretation of the parable. There in verse 11, it starts, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. And this is where the background of the story is so vital to understand its context. The vision doesn't appear in a vacuum. God didn't wake up one day and say, I'd like to really scare one of my prophets. Let's do a lottery. Ezekiel would land it on you, okay? Uh, this would be a Netflix show, so you might as well uh, enjoy it, right? And then tortures him with this image. It's not what God is doing. Rather, God is showing Ezekiel what he's about to do among his people. Ezekiel is a post-exilic prophet. God had warned Israel, as we saw in Deuteronomy uh, 28, that uh, if they were obedient, God would bless them. The Abrahamic covenant, all the way through, through the Mosaic covenant. But if they were disobedient and they followed the gods of the nations, God would come in judgment to them. Think about it. The Babylonian captivity is the nations coming to Israel who looked just like the rest of the nations. They surrendered their identity as God's people. And so God in judgment sent them into captivity. So you, what you have then is the dispersion of Israel over here and over there. And, and they're separated and, and tribes are separated. Their identity is separated. And, and they think, well, we'll, we'll never be re revived again. And so God uses this, this vivid imagery to show Ezekiel this is what Israel looks like. And everyone agrees this is what Israel looks like. It is a image of hopelessness. If your life and your nation was dependent on this valley of dry bones to defend you, you are indeed hopeless. If you want these dry bones to give you good advice, you are hopeless unless they can be revived. So too, if you're an Israelite and you see all the promises of God, of David's throne never lacking an heir, an eternal throne, if, if, if you're hoping in the Abrahamic covenant that the nations will come and be blessed who are a blessing to Israel, if you're hoping in, in all of these promises of God and you look around and there's no one like you, 
in the city you've been sent to. You're a captor, a captive to among one of the worst nations ever to be on the earth. This is a hopeless situation. But notice that what is hopeless in the way it looks, it's really a, a vision of hope in verses 12 to, to 14. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves on my people, and I will bring you to the land of Israel. You shall know that I am the Lord, and I will open your graves, raise you from your graves on my people, and I will put my spirit within you. You shall live, and I will place you in your own land. You shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. What word sticks out to you there? It's kind of annoying. Once you see it, you'll never unsee it. It's the word I. It's all over the place in verses 12 through 14. I will open your graves. I will cause you to come out of your graves. I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have opened your graves. I've caused you to come out of the graves. I will put my spirit within you. I will place you on your land. You will know that I have spoken. I have done it. Be, let's be honest here. Ezekiel preaches, and the bones start rattling. They come together, and here's the Exilia army. What would you think if the guy in the middle of that Exilia, the great army, says, Ezekiel, I got a question. For, I got something to say. Okay, you in the back. Yes, yes. Uh, aren't you proud of all the work I put into this? Didn't I do a great job? Ezekiel's like, no. No. You had nothing to do with any of this. And then that's the point, isn't it? The point is the resurrection of Israel uh, by God who is faithful to his covenantal promises. I will do this. I will bring you back. I will call you from among the nations. I am the Lord and you will know it. The whole point is to see here, not the valley of dry bones, but the God of resurrection. That's the point of, of, of the text. And so we come to the end of this and, and we have great hope. Great hope. This is not the end of the story if you're the prophet Ezekiel. And as he shares the story, what is he saying? This is not our ends. This is as bad as it's going to get. We are a valley of dry bones. So who cares? Right? It's a fantastic story. I love it. I love the imagery. Again, it's very Tolkien-esque here. But what do we do with it? I mean... It's great for scaring kids, but what, what do we do in our homes, in our churches, in, in our community, in our nation? Can I offer just a few points of application and then you can go back for dessert and coffee? Or a nap, whichever one you want. The first is, I believe there is no, no more fitting image of our culture than a valley of dry bones. After all, that is its original context, isn't it? What does Ezekiel see of his own nation, of his own people? He sees a valley of dry bones. And we don't have to squint very hard to look out upon our own culture. And what we see is a valley of dry bones. We are watching in real time, faster than we would like, what happens to a society when God hands us over to our very base desires. We are a valley of dry bones. But the point of the passage isn't to justify our anger, but to make us a people of hope. If we as believers in Christ can be born and even thrive in pagan Rome, a pre-Christian society, can we not thrive in a post-Christian pagan society? We are a valley of dry 
bones. In Matthew 13, Jesus has given his kingdom parables. Some of his first parables are quite striking. One of them, he says, you know, the kingdom of God isn't very impressive right now. It's, it's like a little mustard seed. You put it in the ground, you forget about it. And everyone, everyone thinks, what a terrible little mustard seed that is. What can come from that little seed? Because after all, you can look at Jesus and his movement and all of his great claims. What does he have? He has a bunch of redneck disciple teenagers, and they are teenagers. Just read it again. It's very clear that, that they're young people. And, and uh, will God, you want us to burn them with fire? Right? That's a teenager talking there. Um, <laughs> And, um, or a deacon, I might add. They, they, might, they might be deacons. But anyways, and, and what does he say? What looks insignificant now is about a rattling of the bones. Look out, and the birds will nest in its branches. So too, what we see is the hope of the gospel. If you believe that these bones can live, Do not choose despair. Do not choose anger. Do not choose the quits. This does not mean that the future will not be difficult for Christians or for the church. I anticipate it likely will be. Perhaps we will be fined in prison or even abused, but do not lose hope. God is the giver of life. Our responsibility in a valley of dry bones is to be faithful to the message and the calling God has given us. Do you believe that these bones can live? So it isn't just that I think this is a fitting image of our culture. I think it is a fitting image of our churches that it is a valley of the dry bones. We've all read the articles. We've all seen the studies. We've all bemoaned the slow decline of our churches. Many of our congregations are a valley of dry bones. I want to suggest that in many ways you can lay the decay of our culture at the feet of a decaying church. We've bought into pragmatism and consumerism and try to sell a product rather than to proclaim the saving truth of God's grace. We are a valley of dry bones. We have become so focused on lesser things, we have lost sight of the most important thing, and that is, of course, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Of course, in the text, what is it that gives life? Whether that church be large or small, new or old, traditional or contemporary, urban or rural, what is it that gives life to the church? It can't be doing the things the way we used to do them. It can't just be old-time religion. It can't be a justification of our biases. It isn't just more of the same. We've been doing that for decades. It must be a renewed hope in our Savior, a love for the gospel that drives both repentance and mission. In other words, we must get back to the gospel. So dear church member, I ask you, are you willing to plant yourself in a congregation that perhaps right now is at the point of death, even if the pews are full, but it is sitting at the point of death, a valley of dry bones, and see to it that God uses you to raise the dead. There are pastors here. Are you willing to risk everything to see dry bones live? Or do you and I 
just want to keep playing consumer. This church has great opportunities. I really love their youth group. The preaching's a little better over here. I don't feel as pressured over here. Don't feel as convicted over here. And on and on and on it goes, contributing to a valley of dry bones. I ask you not to bemoan the culture without fighting for a pure church that is both Jesus-focused and gospel-centered. Do you believe these bones can live? If each of our churches renewed our focus on Jesus and the mission he has given, focus and reach our immediate community alone, none of our sanctuaries would be large enough to house the harvest that we can bring in. Oh, and we could do it without stealing members from other churches. I don't know what the numbers are in Breckenridge County, but I can tell you what they are in Frankfurt. About 84% of our county is lost. On any given Sunday, they're not involved in worship. And our 30 Southern Baptist churches in the Franklin Baptist Association are fighting over the same 16% of members. What if we believed these bones can live? Thirdly, There is no fitting image of grace than an army of dry bones. How will God give life to dry bones in our day? How will God reform the church? If not through tradition or doing other things the way we've always done them, what what must we choose here this evening? And it's important that we speak to men on these issues because we as men must lead the charge here. Then in the text, there are two emphases that raises the dead, two of them. It's right there in the text, if you see it. The first one is, it should be obvious, and it is quite simply the gospel. In fact, go, go back to, to chapter 36. You, you can look down to verse 22. Go to 22 to, to the first part of, of 29. I'm a state, uh, I work in the capital city. I can't turn the page. There we go. Turn to verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. Notice the emphasis on grace. You deserve nothing, but I am giving you everything. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the countries, and bring you to your own own land. This is dry bones. I will sprinkle clean water on you. you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone uh, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God, and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. You see, that's the valley of dry bones. Knows the emphasis is that you're among the nations. I bring you back, and I will give you life. And the emphasis there is spirit. In the valley of dry bones, the word is breath. In this, in this prophecy, it is spirit. In the Hebrew, it's the same word. Same word for both. So when he's giving breath to the bones, he's giving spirit to Israel. If this language isn't familiar to you, if you come to the New Testament, what is the language Jesus uses? Particularly in John 3, he, he speaks of the wind and he speaks of the spirit. Same word in the Greek. And, he, and he, this is what he uses to describe the new birth. You must be born again. 
And what is it that, that Nicodemus, who, who has uh, uh, more degrees than, than the thermometers, he says, it is impossible to be born again. He says, yes, I get it. It's also imp impossible for dry bones to live unless God does it, unless God gives breath, unless, unless God gives life, unless God gives a new heart. And when God does it, there is life. And how does this happen? It happens by the means of the gospel by which God raises the dead. He brings dry bones together and forms an exceedingly great army. This is the ministry of the gospel. It isn't pragmatism. It isn't tradition. It isn't the way I was raised. It is the gospel that saves. It, it, when the gospel saves, we have the dead coming to life. You get this, right? Every time you're in the baptistry, what are we doing? Tradition? Yes. Ceremony, of course. Ritual? That's what I was told. But what are we really doing? We are recognizing here is someone who was dead, washed, buried like Christ, but now is presented to you alive forevermore. This is the gospel here. And what is it that gives life? It's the gospel. Where we have erred is we have forgotten and undermined the power of the gospel, believing as Americans in the power of entertainments, the power of politics, power of a system, we've left behind the power of he who was raised from the dead. But it isn't just the gospel that is presented here. It is missions that is presented here, specifically that of preaching. I don't think it's an accident that God places Ezekiel in the middle of this great valley of dead people. And he gives him one command, preach what I tell you to say. Don't come up with cute little illustrations that distract from the point. Don't try to get pointless laughs so that people will come back next week. Don't have, have to launch fancy programs that, that, that will impress the mothers in the neighborhood. No. Preach. Preach the words I give you. And when he preaches, bones begin to rattle. Dear Christian, you are called to serve in a valley of dry bones. You have one job, and only one job, and that is to proclaim the gospel that gives life. Do not stray from that. One of the things I've learned as a pastor is that people don't need to learn new things. They need to be reminded of the things they should never forget. It is the gospel that gives life. One last thing related to that. There is no greater image of missions than an army of dry bones. I think we've reached the point that we Christians need to focus less on generational, minute theological, and certainly political divides among us. We need to focus less on these things and more on the gospel and the mission of God. Whether you believe in foreordination or foreknowledge should have no bearing of whether or not God can raise the dead. What you believe by an extent of atonement or whatever it might be, it should not keep you from reaching the Christians in your backyard or the unbelievers in your backyard. Whether you grew up with Southern gospel or contemporary Christian music, shouldn't keep us from learning from each other, growing with one another, encouraging one another, 
and singing Dry Bones Live. Whether you voted for the blue guy, the red guy, or I guess in reality, the, the orange guy and the grain guy, I don't know. It should not prevent us from calling the nation to repent and believe the gospel. What a calling of mission we have here. We make lesser things important things and the important things lesser things. We want tribes rather than a kingdom. Why? It is time we cease all friendly fire and instead aim our arrows at the real enemy, the world, my own flesh, and the devil. Do you believe this evening that these bones can live? If you say no, I beg of you to repent. I beg of you to return to the empty tomb and to ask that question over and over again, can these bones live? But if you answer in the affirmative, may we act like it, may we preach like it, may we live like it, we pray like it, and trust that God will again raise the dead. Can these bones live? Oh, Lord God, you know. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would be so kind as to 